today on Ag News Daily. So we started that space and we have, I think, close to seven or eight hundred nanometer systems to play the game and we keep that greenhouse for the farm to play the game. March 28, 2023, Tuesday edition, Tech Tuesday. Delaney, we're going to have a conversation that I just, I kept, my brain kept running and running and running with all the possibilities here after we get done with headlines. Oh, I can't wait to hear it then, Tanner. Absolutely. But uh, it was good to see us get through our Monday, kick off the week the right way. And now we get to see what the rest of the week has in store for us. Yeah, and I think potentially we spoke too soon yesterday when we said we were going to have nice weather because I think parts of the Midwest and Northern Plains are going to get more snow, especially up in the Northern states, Tanner, as we're just weeks away from planting here. But uh, there is supposed to be quite a bit of snowfall in the Northern part of the U.S., which could longer term be the potential for flood risks. Uh, well above normal along the Mississippi River, as well as fuel concerns and possible prevent plant acres. Those are all spinning around in the minds of analysts and folks right now, but the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Spring Outlook shows the highest risk for major flooding on the Wisconsin and Minnesota border and where Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin meet. They said moderate flooding is possible across the Mississippi River Basin from the northern Corn Belt down through Missouri. So hopefully we don't see a repeat of 2019, but it does sound like this year has some elevated risks for flooding. Yeah, and I remember a week ago, Monday, we asked when we'd see this start affecting the markets. And he said, hang on for just a little bit longer until the first part of April. So we'll keep watching that. We know there is still a lot of moisture in the air. We've got dense fog advisories for that area we discussed yesterday in northern Kansas and southwest Nebraska. Other than that, it's always fun to keep up with the extreme ag team. Since they've got growers all around the United States, Chad Henderson's in Madison, Alabama. He is waiting for a little bit of his ground to dry out. He's got his strip till finished to where the planter can now roll when the conditions are right. But then Lee Lubers of Gregory, South Dakota has the other problem that you just described. They're still looking to see if he can see the ground because of all the snow that he has. He said parts of snow banks were 10 to 15 feet tall there are areas now that are three to five feet deep the moisture has to go someplace and that leads right into the discussion you just shared about flooding well one area that doesn't have to worry about flooding tanner is argentina as they are experiencing one of the hottest and driest summers in decades we saw for the third full week of march 2023 ending march 25th that Maybe some promises lie ahead as they were getting some heavier rains. But according to Weather Trends 360, this was the second wettest third full week of March in 30 plus years for Argentina's main soybean producing region. So really drastic switch the other direction. Temperatures also turned more favorable last week for crops after a hotter start to the week and relatively cooler start ending to the second part of the week. But unfortunately, many analysts are saying the wetter weather and cooler temperatures arrived a little too late to salvage the damage done by one of the hottest and driest summers in several decades, Tanner. Yeah, the 
hopefully that's the last of our uh, weather news for today. But it will be interesting to see how the spring plays out. Wanted to kind of give a banking status update to our listeners today in the perspective of the banks that more than likely they deal with. Agricultural lending in U.S. increased by 8.1% in 2022. When you look at how that compared to other industries, the average of the industry for banking as a whole fell by 2.5%. So that's a positive statistic there. Ag banks have about $190 billion of farm and ranch loans on their books as of the end of 2022. And that compares to $427 billion of deposits. So that tells you there that a lot of agriculture right now is very liquid with cash on hand. Of course, from the banking side, Delaney, we would like to see that loans to deposit ratio higher because loans is how banks make their money. However, in 2022, 98.4% of farm banks were profitable. There is a very low delinquency rate right now. Less than a half percent of ag loans at farm banks are considered non-current. And the number of farm bank employees in 2022, Delaney, was up 800 from the year before to a little over 75,000. So thanks to the American Bankers Association for that data, to show that ag banks in the U.S. at least are doing quite well. Well, Tanner, Chinese pork processing giant WH Group LTD processed 30% more poultry last year, the company said on Tuesday, according to Reuters. It's continuing to diversify into other meats, however, to lower their cost and become more competitive. They said, especially given some of the recent news we've seen on Tyson's front of shutting down some poultry processing facilities, that poultry proves to be a big market that they might be able to expand upon. WH Group, which owns U.S.-based Smithfield Foods and also has operations in Europe, also reported a 34% rise in annual profit, Tanner. And they've also done some acquisitions and expanded their front in 2022. But I'll be curious to know, it's a little different here since they're not necessarily buying land, but you know we've got a lot of lot of legislation around foreign investors not no longer being able to purchase U.S. land, and I'm curious how something like this, where WH Group owns such a large portion of the U.S. food systems, and I guess through osmosis owns some of the land in which they are based upon, but how will that legislation affect our food supply chain system? Yeah, uh, yeah, time will probably be the only thing that can tell us how that will affect it, but uh, it'll again be something for us to watch. What we're continuing to watch is Russia's exercises, especially those that are off the coast of Japan, as they've been working together in safe space. According to this article, a team of two missile boats carried out joint missile strikes against a shield stimulating an enemy warship. The target was successfully engaged at a distance of 62 miles by a direct hit of cruise missiles. The Russia Pacific Fleet fired a pair of these supersonic missiles to mock targets off the water of Japan. This was considered a acceptable maneuver Tuesday. This comes after Russia had conducted drills earlier this month in the Sea of Japan also known as the East Sea with a submarine hitting a land target over a 
621 miles away. There is good news for Ukraine as they have seen the arrival of British tanks as well as German Leop Le yeah, Leopold tanks. They have now been delivered. Their chancellor is stating that Ukraine has received this package and will begin training to deploy these into battle. Russia says that it is open to discussing the safety at the nuclear power plant with international observers. This comes now after a global accusation of Moscow using radiation blackmail. So things are still tense, still any across the pond. But we'll monitor that one and continue to share that with our listeners. Senator, it sounds like things are also tense in Washington, D.C. after Representative Catherine Tai spoke to legislators at the Senate Finance Committee. The key takeaway from that committee testimony from Ambassador Tai was that she shared current plans or really lack thereof of plans. And that frustrated a lot of folks on the Senate Finance Committee. She was pressed pretty hard, it sounds like, to deliver plans on what countries she was focusing on for negotiations and how she was going to help reduce tariffs on U.S. products. And Tanner, the information she shared was not much. And she also shared that there is not a single country in negotiations with the United States right now to reduce tariffs on U.S. products, which is quite alarming for U.S. ag producers as ag commodities are one of the most important commodities that are exported and uh, have tariffs placed on them when we do business with other countries. But she did say that barriers facing farmers and ranchers are a, quote, top line priority for U.S. trade agenda, but many are calling into question her ability to do this job, seeing as there are no concrete plans to reduce tariffs and there are no countries we are negotiating with at current day. Yeah, that uh, might have an effect on the next article that I have to share here about the adoption of ag technology in the world of farming. USDA's big precision tech study is now showing in a higher adoption rate amongst the largest of farms. Of course, some of this technology is provided to us from our partners overseas, but driving home the point, the USDA has released their new study about the adoption of technology since the late 1990s. According to their study, Delaney, auto steer guidance was used on only 5.3% of planted corn acres in 2021 grew to 58% by 2016, and now is over 72% of all acres using global positioning satellites, as well as the technology evolved in agriculture. 40% of ranch acreages are also using GPS. Of course, data collection technologies, such as yield mapping and soil mapping are important to ag. The technology hesitation exists among farm managers with higher age demographics and lower acres. I don't think that comes as much as a surprise Delaney, to anybody else, but using this sat data and survey information, we're able to depict here that there is a 1.8% higher net return on average from the category that uses auto steer technology versus those that don't. I kind of expected that number to be a little bit larger, uh, but that is what their survey results provided. 
7% of farms with total cropland less than 200 acres had adopted the use of GPS technology. So we'll continue to watch that. Of course, it expands way further into the detail, but the key is that data is king. It is. I had that story on my list of news as well. So I think I'm out of news, Tanner. What about you? Well, that was the last piece. Glad to steal that, but you can take over the markets. Fantastic. Well, here as we head into opening session here on this Tuesday morning, we're starting to see corn a little lower as we head into the opening bell. May corn down half a penny to open at 647 and three quarters. New crop corn is also down a half a penny to open at 569 and a quarter. In the soybean pits here today, May trading nine cents higher in the overnight to open at 1451. New crop beans up five and three quarter cents will open at 1294 and a quarter. Hard red May winter wheat also up in the overnights, seven cents to open here at 867 and a quarter. Quick recap of where livestock ended yesterday. April live cattle added $1.90 will open this morning at a buck 64.90. April feeder cattle will clock in at $1.9762. And April lean hawks will ring the opening opening bell at 78.62 and a half. Tanner, without further ado. Fill us in on who we're talking to for today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Absolutely. I have the CEO of Moliere, which is a nano bubble generating company, both with the technology and the equipment to do so. So let's share with our listeners what nano bubbles are. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. Today on Ag News Daily. March 28th, 2023, Tuesday edition, Tech Tuesday. Delaney, we're going to have a conversation that I just, I kept, my brain kept running and running and running with all the possibilities here after we get done with headlines. Oh, I can't wait to hear it then, Tanner. Absolutely. But uh, it was good to see us get through our Monday, kick off the week the right way. And now we get to see what the rest of the week has in store for us. Yeah, and I think potentially we spoke too soon yesterday when we said we were going to have nice weather because I think parts of the Midwest and Northern Plains are going to get more snow, especially up in the Northern states, Tanner, as we're just weeks away from planting here. But uh, there is supposed to be quite a bit of snowfall in the Northern part of the U.S., which could longer term be the potential for flood risks. Uh, well above normal along the Mississippi River, as well as fuel concerns and possible prevent plant acres. Those are all spinning around in the minds of analysts and folks right now, but the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration spring outlook shows the highest risk for major flooding on the Wisconsin and Minnesota border and where Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin meet. They said moderate flooding is possible across the Mississippi River Basin from the Northern Corn Belt down through Missouri. So hopefully we don't see a repeat of 2019 
but it does sound like this year has some elevated risks for flooding. Yeah, and I remember a week ago, Monday, we asked when we see this start affecting the markets. And he said to hang on for just a little bit longer until the first part of April. So we'll keep watching that. We know there is still a lot of moisture in the air. We've got dense fog advisories for that area we discussed yesterday in northern Kansas and southwest Nebraska. Other than that, it's always fun to keep up with the extreme ag team since they've got growers all around the United States. Chad Henderson's in Madison, Alabama. He is waiting for a little bit of his ground to dry out. He's got his strip till finished to where the planter can now roll when the conditions are right. But then Lee Lubers of Gregory, South Dakota has the other problem that you just described. They're still looking to see if he can see the ground because of all the snow that he has. He said parts of snow banks were 10 to 15 feet tall. There are areas now that are three to five feet deep. The moisture has to go someplace and that leads right into the discussion you just shared about flooding. Well, one area that doesn't have to worry about flooding, Tanner, is Argentina as they are experiencing one of the hottest and driest summers in decades. We saw for the third full week of March 2023, ending March 25th, that maybe some promises lie ahead as they were getting some heavier rains. But according to Weather Trends 360, this was the second wettest third full week of March in 30 plus years for Argentina's main soybean producing region. So really drastic switch the other direction. Temperatures also turned more favorable last week for crops after a hotter start to the week and relatively cooler start ending to the second part of the week. But unfortunately, many analysts are saying the wetter weather and cooler temperatures arrived a little too late to salvage the damage done by one of the hottest and driest summers in several decades, Tanner. Yeah, hopefully that's the last of our uh, weather news for today, but it will be interesting to see how the spring plays out. Wanted to kind of give a banking status update to our listeners today in the perspective of the banks that more than likely they deal with. Agricultural lending in U.S. increased by 8.1% in 2022. When you look at how that compared to other industries, the average of the industry for banking as a whole fell by 2.5%. So that's a positive statistic there. Ag banks have about $190 billion of farm and ranch loans on their books as of the end of 2022. And that compares to 427 billion of deposits. So that tells you there that a lot of agriculture right now is very liquid with cash on hand. Of course, from the banking side, Delaney, we would like to see that loans to deposit ratio higher because loans is how banks make their money. However, in 2022, 98.4% of farm banks were profitable. There is a very low delinquency rate right now. Less than a half percent of ag loans at farm banks are considered non-current. And the number of farm bank employees in 2022, Delaney, was up 800 from the year before to a little over 75,000. So thanks to the American Bankers Association for that data to show that ag banks in the U.S. at least are doing quite well. Well, Tanner, Chinese pork processing giant WH Group LTD 
processed 30% more poultry last year, the company said on Tuesday, according to Reuters. It's continuing to diversify into other meats, however, to lower their cost and become more competitive. They said, especially given some of the recent news we've seen on Tyson's front of shutting down some poultry processing facilities, that poultry proves to be a big market that they might be able to expand upon. WH Group, which owns U.S.-based Smithfield Foods and also has operations in Europe, also reported a 34% rise in annual profit, Tanner. And they've also done some acquisitions and expanded their front in 2022. But I'll be curious to know, it's a little different here since they're not necessarily buying land, but you know we've got a lot of, lot of, lot of legislation around foreign investors not no longer being able to purchase U.S. land. And I'm curious how something like this, where WH Group owns such a large portion of the U.S. food systems and I guess through osmosis owns some of the land in which they are based upon, but how will that legislation affect our food supply chain system? Yeah, uh, yeah time will probably be the only thing that can tell us how that will affect it, but uh, it'll again be something for us to watch. What we're continuing to watch is Russia's exercises, especially those that are off the coast of Japan, as they've been working together in safe space. According to this article, a team of two missile boats carried out joint missile strikes against a shield, stimulating an enemy warship. The target was successfully engaged at a distance of 62 miles by a direct hit of cruise missiles. The Russia Pacific fleet fired a pair of these supersonic missiles to mock targets off the water of Japan. This was considered a acceptable maneuver Tuesday. This comes after Russia had conducted drills earlier this month in the Sea of Japan, also known as the East Sea with a submarine hitting a land target over a 621 miles away. There is good news for Ukraine, as they have seen the arrival of British tanks as well as German Leop Le yeah, Leopold tanks. They have now been delivered. Their chancellor is stating that Ukraine has received this package and will begin training to deploy these into battle. Russia says that it is open to discussing the safety at the nuclear power plant with international observers. This comes now after a global accusation of Moscow using radiation blackmail. So things are still tense, still any across the pond, but we'll monitor that one and continue to share that with our listeners. Senator, it sounds like things are also tense in Washington, D.C. after Representative Catherine Tai spoke to legislators at the Senate Finance Committee. The key takeaway from that committee testimony from Ambassador Tai was that she shared current plans or really lack thereof of plans. And that frustrated a lot of folks on the Senate Finance Committee. She was pressed pretty hard, it sounds like, to deliver plans on what countries she was focusing on for negotiations and how she was going to help reduce tariffs on U.S. products. And Tanner, the information she shared was not much. And she also shared that there is not a single country in negotiations with the United States right now to reduce tariffs on U.S. products, which is quite alarming for U.S. ag producers as ag commodities are one of the most important 
commodities that are exported and uh, have tariffs placed on them when we do business with other countries. But she did say that barriers facing farmers and ranchers are a, quote, top line priority for U.S. trade agenda. But many are calling into question her ability to do this job, seeing as there are no concrete plans to reduce tariffs and there are no countries we are negotiating with at current day. Yeah, that uh, might have an effect on the next article that I have to share here about the adoption of ag technology in the world of farming. USDA's big precision tech study is now showing a higher adoption rate amongst the largest of farms. Of course, some of this technology is provided to us from our partners overseas, but driving home the point, the USDA has released their new study about the adoption of technology since the late 1990s. According to their study, Delaney, auto steer guidance was used on only 5.3% of planted corn acres in 2021, grew to 58% by 2016, and now is over 72% of all acres using global positioning satellites, as well as the technology evolved in agriculture. 40% of ranch acreages are also using GPS. Of course, data collection technologies such as yield mapping and soil mapping are important to ag. The technology hesitation exists among farm managers with higher age demographics and lower acres. I don't think that comes as much as a surprise to anybody else, but using this sat data and survey information, we're able to depict here that there is a 1.8% higher net return on average from the category that uses auto steer technology versus those that don't. I kind of expected that number to be a little bit larger, uh, but that is what their survey results provided. 7% of farms with total cropland less than 200 acres had adopted the use of GPS technology. So we'll continue to watch that. Of course, it expands way further into the detail, but the key is that data is king. It is. I had that story on my list of news as well. So I think I'm out of news, Tanner. What about you? Well, that was the last piece. Glad to steal that, but you can take over the markets. Fantastic. Well, here as we head into opening session here on this Tuesday morning, we're starting to see corn a little lower as we head into the opening bell. May corn down half a penny to open at 647 and three quarters. New crop corn is also down a half a penny to open at 569 and a quarter. In the soybean pits here today, May trading nine cents higher in the overnight to open at 1451. New crop beans up five and three quarter cents will open at 1294 and a quarter. Hard red May winter wheat also up in the overnights, seven cents to open here at 8.67 and a quarter. Quick recap of where livestock ended yesterday. April live cattle added $1.90 will open this morning at a buck 64.90. April feeder cattle will clock in at $1.9762. And April lean hawks will ring the opening opening bell at 78.62 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, Fill us in on who we're talking to for today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Absolutely. I have the CEO of Moliere, which is a nano bubble generating company, both with the technology and the equipment to do so. So let's share with our listeners what nano bubbles are. Well, there you go, Delaney. I bet you never thought we'd have a conversation about nano bubbles before, wouldn't you? 
I don't think I would have. Yeah, so kind of neat. That's what Tech Tuesdays are all about, listeners. Of course, we're going to be here every day of the week so we can continue to bring you more fun and interesting conversations just like that. But what do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. There you go, Delaney. I bet you never thought we'd have a conversation about nanobubbles before, wouldn't you? I don't think I would have. Yeah, so kind of neat. That's what Tech Tuesdays are all about, listeners. Of course, we're going to be here every day of the week, so we can continue to bring you more fun and interesting conversations just like that. But what do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.